I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Our guest today brings unparalleled success in revenue generation with one of the leading teams in the National Basketball Association. Dan Costello will take us through his unconventional beginnings that has led him to be one of the strongest revenue producers in all of professional sports. He will explore how important innovation is and being able to collaborate and build alignment with the basketball function as well as the business function. Our guest, Dan Costello. Welcome, friends. We have a unique guest this evening that's going to explore what's going on as it relates to generating revenue in professional sports. Dan Costello will afford us a a real unique journey into his experiences. Uh, Talk about, Dan, first of all, welcome. Thank you for having me, Jed. Interesting career path. I mean, you started at the United Way. So that United Way to media sales into uh, working for the Suns for a number of years. So it seems like a a different journey, non-for-profit, and then working for revenue generation organization? My pathway into sports was unconventional. Um, I grew up in a household that was really about giving back nonprofit executives. And um, when I finished school, felt like I was going to follow in their footsteps a bit and uh, decided that I could make a difference in the community and and really give back. My first job at United Way was really about knocking on doors and trying to get companies who have never given to United Way before to participate in employee campaigns. And that was really, for me, my first big sales job, trying to get companies to give something back for a feeling. It was a great way for me to get in touch with the communities in which I lived. And it was a good launching board uh, to understanding the power of storytelling. You know, when you're trying to get people to give back, Uh, and give a little bit more, you know, you want to tell stories about how their dollars are affecting the community, getting people to get excited about the feeling they get when they give. Uh, So that was really, that was really kind of my entree into sales through nonprofit work. And then how does the media company come about? Yeah, so I think when you're, when you're at an organization like the United Way, it really is about community leaders coming together to make the community a better place. So I actually worked for a guy uh, at United Way, he was on the board of directors there, and he was uh, an advertising guy. He was the CEO, president for Cox Communications. I was young in my career, and I felt like you know this guy really had an inspiring story, a really interesting job, and um, he took to me and and said, "Have you ever thought about 
you know, working in, in media sales. And I hadn't. I was making about $35,000 a year in nonprofit. And, you know, he had said, you know, you can come over here and we'll pay you $15,000 a year and you can make some commission. Um, so I, I moved back in with my parents and they thought I was crazy. And uh, I got really good at utilizing media to align with companies uh, and, and how they were going to try to, you know, drive their business. So, you know, I, I think for me at the, on the media side in selling cable advertising in particular, you know, as a, a guy right in their 20s, you know, I fell in love with the power of media and how it could help businesses, you know, drive their bottom line. And it really was my first real commission sales job and being entrepreneurial, you know, at stake, you know, I, I, that about two months in, I brought home a $50,000 commission check. You know, I think my parents thought I was selling drugs on the side when that happened, but I did learn the power of hustle and cold calling and getting in front of people. So that, that was my entree in the media. So how did the sons come about? We sold a bunch of ESPN and TNT and Really got good at selling sports. I moved up at Cox from a, a local account executive into a national sales role. And I crossed paths with somebody who was at Cox previously and moved to the Suns. And she asked me if I'd ever thought about working for a team. And I, I really hadn't. I had never really set my sights on getting involved in sports. You know, I think the world kind of just took me where the world wanted to take me. And I had just gotten married. My wife and I talked about what sports would look like, and I started with the Suns in 2006, 2007 as an account executive in our sponsorship group. Rick Welts, who is now retired, who is our president and CEO, hired me along with a woman named Lynn Ignello and gave me my start. Worked with a lot of legends in the business early on in 2006, 2007, but you know, I think that's really the place where I learned how to compete you know, how to make sure that I could, you know, really understand my craft. And uh, I got a shot to kind of sit in the cubicles and the partnership side of the business over there and fell in love. Now you're sitting in the, uh, the second uh, role with the Suns, but in charge of all revenue. So talk about what it's like trying to drive revenue for an NBA team, especially one that hadn't been winning uh, up until the last two years, because you were still at the top of the chart if you look at NBA sponsorships and, and what you're able to do. So what was it or what is it that, that you've learned that has made you so good at your craft? You know, honestly, you know, I learned probably the most during losing the season. There's so many deals. I, I'm, I'm one of those rare sports people that hasn't moved around through my career. I've been at the Sun since 2006, 2007, and you do deals. And there's been many deals that I've done where I said, you know, a 10-year deal, I won't be here at the end of it, or a five-year deal, I won't be at the end of it. And, and what I learned through that is you have, when you make a promise and you talk about, you know, we're going to put together this partnership and it's going to have this effect on your business, you know, when you're not winning, and more importantly, when you're not winning, you need to make sure that you're delivering. And you can't do that yourself. So you've got to inspire your team to really focus on the details. You've got to come up with incredible stories. You've got to come up with a lot of great ideas. Um, and you have to have confidence to get in the boardroom and talk about how these ideas are going to work, regardless of wins and losses, and put these together. So, you know, for me, competing in a mid-market, Phoenix is not a 
in LA. It's not in New York. You know, I think the best thing that's ever happened to me is going through losing seasons. Um, it makes you better at your craft. There's no shortcuts. Um, and you have the fundamentals down. So when the team starts winning, you have all the pieces in place to now add in, you know, a team that's winning on the court and the deals that you're doing get much larger. Um, and, and that's for me, you know, that was really the starting point, you know, and really getting, you know, comfortable uh, with putting together deals that had to work. Um, and that, that's been the key to my success. Give our audience a couple of examples of ones you're really proud of. What, what went, went into them? What I'm most proud of is strategy. You know, for me, it's never about just a deal. You know, so when I talk about building this business kind of piece by piece with our team, you know, we talk a lot about focusing on the possibility of versus the preservation of. We talk about what can we do. And, um, you know, for me, I really fundamentally believe in creating platforms or ecosystems. We've really focused on two major areas. So the first is really innovation. And I'm really proud of the work we've done in innovation. It really started in the NBA. We started selling patches and logos on our jerseys. Um, and for us, that was really the beginning of kind of the thought process around innovation and a fan that lives on a device, a digital fan. So we put together a deal with PayPal and Venmo. You know, they are the world's leader in e-commerce and digital payments. And we did that deal about five years ago. And we obviously didn't predict a pandemic, but when the pandemic came, arenas going cashless or stadiums going cashless was expedited. Brands started, you know, leaning in and, and wanting to take advantage of this digital wallet. So for us, the customer journey starts on a phone. Um, and for us, we believed that it would start with PayPal and Venmo. So we did a huge deal with PayPal and Venmo. On the heels of that, right after that, the second kind of spoke on our innovation wheel was a deal we did with Ticketmaster. Um, and the average ticket changes hands three to six times, and we are 99% digital ticketing in our building. So you add digital payment plus digital ticketing. You know, again, the fans deciding to come to a game, and they're using their phone for that transaction. They show up to a game, and their phone is their ticket in the game. You know, and then it gets to the third spoke in our wheel. And, you know, on the name on our, our practice facility is the Verizon 5G Performance Center. It's an arena. It's a, it's a practice facility in, in an arena that's really focused on understanding complex movements in real time and keeping our players healthy and optimizing performance at the highest level using 150 cameras and another 120 sensors. We bring that same technology in the arena and you know, give fans access to multiple angles of the game. We use augmented reality where you can hover your phone over a player and see their music playlist or you know, hit a button, have a jersey sent to your home. Again, you know, payment on your phone, digital ticket on your phone. And now you could start playing around with different camera angles on your phone and have access to things. And then the fourth, you know, big deal that we recently did in September, we launched, we launched a, a retail sports book and a digital sports book with Fandle. Um, another 15-year deal. And for us, the, the revenues are extraordinary. It's it, you can you can see kind of the, the the numbers in the state of Arizona's Arizona Department of Gaming, but it's averaging over 150 million dollars a month in in wagering um, on mobile sports books throughout the state, and and the numbers are staggering. But for us, it's more about again that fan is engaging on their device. They're guessing who's going to win the tip, who's going to get the first assist, the first rebound, 
And all of a sudden now we have a fan that is, again, gamifying the game. They're interested in the first quarter as much as the fourth quarter, the third game of the season as much as the playoffs. And, you know, that strategy where we're really focused on fans uh, using their phone for different experiences or to get access um, is also allowing us to do other deals. Uh, so we announced this year a new deal with CarMax where you can go on and take that fan from a sports gambling perspective. And now that same fan's going to be shopping for a car on their phone or that same fan's going to be shopping for a home using Open Door. So the digital fan experience has been you know, an ecosystem or a platform I'm really excited about. Um, that strategy is helping to bring more deals in and really focus for us. And it's the name on our practice facility. The second one really is around the name in our arena. Uh, we did a 15-year naming rights deal last year with a company called Footprint that's all about the elimination of single-use plastic. So when people think of the Suns, you know, we obviously know that they're going to think of Devin Booker and Chris Paul and Monty Williams and our team. But from a business perspective, we want them to think about our deep innovation and our thought process around innovation. We also want them to thought, think about our commitment to environmental and social governance issues. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of the largest deals in the NBA in terms of a naming rights deal. But it also really is about how do we eliminate single-use plastic? And a lot of companies are struggling with their plans around how they're going to make the world a better place from an environmental perspective. So, you know, we've seen Brands like Coke talk to us about introducing next year 100% recyclable bottles. We're seeing more investment. Uh, brands talking about water conservation programs. We'll introduce a new partner that's really focused on that next year. So I believe not just in selling deals. I believe in selling platforms that attract other deals, part of a larger strategy. When you think about tickets, you talked about how many times tickets change hands. And you talk about the average ticket as opposed to the premium, as opposed to the premium, the boxes, how did that, how does that vary? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. I mean, we're, we put um, almost $300 million in um, renovations to our arena this past year and a half. You know, our, our viewpoint is that people are coming to games for different reasons and you have to have other things happening in the arena to attract them. So the days where fans are going to show up and just sit four in a row, where you're sitting and talking to the person next to you, like there'll be some people that want to do that. So we actually took out a bunch of seats within the arena. We killed about 1,200 seats and created standing areas where people have high top tables. Because, you know, if you throw a party in your house, no matter what you do, every party ends up in the kitchen. They want to stand at a high top, have a beer or a soda and watch a game and talk. You know, we're seeing a tremendous amount of intensity and excitement for people purchasing tickets like I've never seen. People are wanting an experience. They really want a premium experience. They want something different. They want to share it on their social media. You know, so we're seeing from our fan base, you know, we had, we were the number one team in the NBA in terms of new full season tickets this last year. Obviously, a lot of that is team performance and what's happening in the game of basketball. But a lot of it also is in the experience when they come in. Um, and we're seeing people you know, willing to spend a lot of money for a premium experience. When you think about the NBA, uh, where, where things are from a vision and a cutting edge perspective, and you think about what you've talked about, go across the other three major sports in terms of where you think you are and where you think teams are going. 
Wow. It's, it's so interesting. I mean, our viewpoint, and I've learned a lot of this here, is that, you know, we fundamentally, our franchise, we own um, an NBA team, a WNBA team, and then also have ownership in a La Liga soccer team. And our viewpoint has always been that um, we want to be involved in sports that have both boys and girls playing, um, that you can play for your whole life. You know, it doesn't matter what age you are, you get out and shoot a hoop in a park or kick a soccer ball in a, in a, in a, in a, in a park as well. Um, we like sports that don't cost a lot of money, a low barrier of entry, and they're global. Um, so, you know, I think the NBA has done a really good job of being global. You know, NBA Africa is, is growing really quickly. The work that's happened in NBA China has been important. You know, we have players from all over the world and, and Spain and Latin America. You know, really excited about the global aspects of the game. You know, I, when I think about the NFL, it is the dominant sport in North America. You know, I think what you're seeing in terms of media consumption, I think the NFL has done an amazing job of innovating a lot of their media assets. You think about what they've done in their partnership with Nickelodeon. One of the most impressive things I've seen is that partnership where, you know, my kids and I actually, they, they wanted to sit down and watch an entire game because they're explaining the game in a way that a kid is, 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 will understand. You know, they're sliming the field when someone scores a touchdown. The NFL has done a really good job of taking some chances in their media assets, and you're seeing it with what they're doing on Amazon and other places as well. I think the NFL has even more opportunity to get premium. Um, I think when you look at the outside of the NFL stadiums, they represent a tremendous opportunity to create uh, entertainment districts and do a number of other things as well. And I do think sports betting is going to be really interesting as it proliferates around the country and in particular in the NFL. Uh, baseball is interesting. You know, I, I think brands are really excited about America's pastime and the opportunity to actually put a logo on batting helmets and on their jerseys. You know, I, I do think baseball is at a crossroads in terms of how do you get younger kids excited about it. And I do think that sports betting is going to play a huge role in it. There's enough time between pitches and, and innings where you can really micro bet. Um, you know, I walked you through our innovation strategy, but we always felt like you needed two things to be really good at betting. You needed world-class frictionless payment and you needed speed. And for Verizon 5G kind of gives you access to both things. And I do think, you know, if you can get people engaged and gamify every pitch, every at-bat, you know, the next generation of consumers will, will fall in love with baseball for different reasons. Um, so that's interesting as well. The other one that's been interesting to follow lately is uh, what, what's happening right now with golf. Um, I do think that coming out of COVID, there's been a huge interest and resurgence in golf. Um, getting outside and playing the game, there's a lot of younger players that are playing um, and really fun to watch what's happening in golf. And to kind of close out this discussion, I do think with all those things, the, the biggest opportunity that I'm seeing that I'm excited and I'm passionate about is what's happening in the opportunity to race the floor in women's sports. You know, we're seeing huge movements in our business around the WNBA. Um, we're seeing amazing opportunities that are happening in soccer for women as well. Uh, you know, we did 
a sports betting deal with Bally's. It's the largest sports betting deal in the history. It's the largest deal anyone's done on the team side in women's professional sports. Um, and we're seeing, you know, it's a, it's a league that's 25 years old. Um, I think that the power of women's sports is a hockey stick. I think brands are looking for ways that they can engage in women's sports. Um, I think we're seeing a huge opportunity in that side of the business. So, you know, that's kind of my viewpoint on, on the other leagues and teams. When you think about alignment uh, as it relates to basketball operations, ownership and business, talk about how that works and how important that is to, for success. I probably spend as much talk, time talking with James Jones um, and Jim Pittman. Are, they're our general managers of both teams as I do with anybody else. James, you know, I've been through different types of GMs through my career, you know, ones that are hands off, ones that are hands on. But having a partnership and a trust, uh, knowing that if we grow this pie, it helps everyone is paramount. And, you know, we, we wrote the idea for the Verizon 5G Performance Center down on a napkin, James Jones, myself and some executives at Verizon, and really dreamt. And they came to us and said, what, what do you want to do? And we had some ideas and thoughts and what that would look like. You know, I could tell you, you know, that's a great example of the partnership between business and basketball. Uh, and once those ideas are kind of led on both sides, I mean, it's, it's not show, show, it's show business. Both of us on the business and basketball side are tied together. You know, our platforms that I talk about being passionate about are very similar on the basketball side. James Jones talks a lot about the system that they're building on the basketball side, you know, making sure that the right team of people that's there, that they are building something that's overarching. It's not depending on just one unit. It's part of a larger ecosystem and growth. And so our, our viewpoint on the world is very similar. And when we're interconnected in that way, you know, we can hold each other accountable um, and be really focused on driving our business to areas that no one would think would be possible. Uh, and I think this past last two years, where we've done over $650 million COI, it's been a testament to that partnership across the organization. It's super important. As you look forward in professional sports, do you see any roadblocks to the continued growth that professional sports is seeing on the, on the revenue side? I don't know if there's roadblocks. I do think that those of us in these seats, need to continue to spend a lot of time mentoring the next generation of sellers, uh, the next generation of, you know, storytellers and, and business leaders here, you know, making sure that we're giving opportunities uh, and, and creating diverse workforces is super important. You know, I, I do think, you know, there are, th there are some people out there just selling assets or they're just selling a deal. And when you do that, you know, these partnerships run their course. And at times they can leave brands with a bad feeling about the deals that they've done. So I think we owe it to all of us to do deals that matter, to do deals that are deeply rooted in strategic thinking and deals that have, you know, return on investment for these brands. You know, I, I do believe that we're just, it's still a starting point. You know, I, I have a really good friend in the agency business and we, we talk all the time that a signature on our deal should really be the starting line, not the finish line. When you sign a deal and you finish it, you know, really, that's when the work begins. And, and to me, I love that, that statement. My good friend Chaucer Barnes at Translation talks about it. And it's, um, 
it's motivating to me to think about that being important in the next generation of deals that happens. Dan, I've admired you in your career on how it's grown and the sophistication you've brought with it and the leadership values you've brought to your organization, to the NBA. So it's it's been a fun for me to watch you grow and you know, kind of take your organization and really um, make it one that people want to look up to and be and use as, uh, as an example. That means the world, especially coming from you, Jed. But I, you know, it's it's not just me. I think, you know, I've had a chance to work for some great people and the people underneath me, a lot of them are doing amazing things now. Some of them have gone on to do amazing things with brands and other teams too. So, you know, this next phase of my career is about taking it up the next notch and making sure that I'm mentoring as many people as possible to, to continue the legacy of these types of thinking around deals. So thank you. We wish you good luck. Good luck and, and, and safe health to you and your family. Thanks for joining us.